This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 336, recorded on Monday, September the 18th, 2017. Here we are, Jason. We had a rough time getting going, but we've started. And It's all uh, my fault, but that's okay. And I blame you. And rightly so. <laughs> all right. Well, we are here, of course, today to talk about the latest episode of Fear the Walking Dead. That's season three, episode 11. But there's a few things I wanted to do first, and um, that includes some listener feedback about last week's episode. Okay. Um, but one thing I just wanted to talk about real quick off the top is kind of a Walking Dead news item, but I thought it was worth mentioning. So we'll do that first, and uh, then at the end of the show, we'll get into, you know, a little bit uh, more feedback, actually, about this week's episode. So, packed program for everyone today. Cool, cool, cool. So, this news item I want to bring up, just as we're getting started here, is something AMC has launched recently, and it's kind of a new, updated version of the Walking Dead fan club that's been around for a little while, or, or at least it's AMC's version of a fan club dedicated to The Walking Dead. And it's called The Walking Dead Fan Club, or sorry, Fan Rewards Club. Oh, they're combining rewards with fan club. That's fancy. Pretty much, yeah. So this came out earlier this week, maybe, maybe last week, I, I don't know exactly. But the idea is you go to twdrewards.com, and it's an AMC-promoted site. You sign up, and you can collect points. And you can use those points to redeem for stuff and they can be uh i think you can redeem for products in the walking dead shop they run you can get digital rewards like wallpapers and screensavers and things like that if you're into that sort of thing and you collect the points by doing things like on the site generally so watching videos you get certain number of points um shopping in the store you receive rewards points that you can redeem later in the same store yep things like that and so I thought this was maybe kind of a fun idea. You know, there's contests around it and stuff. So I go to the site. I'm all ready to sign up. And um, what do you think happened? Well, you're Canadian, so you got screwed. I'm Canadian, so I got screwed. Yeah. <laughs> so it was I, just a guess. I was right. You were right. I Nice. I, I didn't know at the time it wasn't open to Canadians or anyone outside of the continental United States for that matter. Racist. <laughs> well, I posted the link on our Facebook page, said, hey, everybody, you can collect points in the Walking Dead Fan Rewards Club. Are you going to start doing this? I'm about to go check it out. And I even wrote on that Facebook post, I'm just going to find out if it's open to Canadians. Five <laughs> minutes later, I came back and updated the post with, and it's not. Thanks a lot, AMC. Um so, yeah, not open to Canadians and therefore not of interest really to anyone outside the States. But if you are in the States, twdrewards.com and you can start collecting points for doing stuff on the website. Oh, you're just going to have to be satisfied with uh, additional Canadian tire money. When you go to Canadian tire and you buy something, you'll get Canadian tire money. But they're phasing that out. Did yeah, you notice? They are. I, I was in Canadian Tire today, actually, and I got some Canadian Tire money. However, you're right. You physical they, money. Physical money, yeah. Still. Oh, yeah. they won't, they stop giving it out to my local Canadian Tire. Uh, no, I got some just today, but it's, uh, you're right. They're moving to an online system for Canadian Tire rewards, too. 
Yeah. It's sad. I still have a stack of Canadian Tire money that I can, uh, I can probably redeem for points and then, and or products and services from Canadian Tire. But, uh, maybe now that they're phasing it out, I'll just keep it. It might become a collector's item. <laughs> yeah. Might be a collector's item. Well, I don't know. Um, this was kind of disappointing, but at the same time, not all that surprising, uh, for me as a Canadian, we get, we don't get included in things like this that are put on by U.S. companies very often, so. Well, there's only 30 some odd million of us, right? So who the hell cares? Uh, yeah, I like 35, 36 million by now, I think, you know, it's one tenth of the population of America. I wasn't going to hazard a guess. I haven't looked in a while. Last time I heard it was 33 million, but I'm sure it's way past that now. Uh, yeah, yeah, it probably is. There's nothing but population explosion, so. Yeah, uh, including uh, me and my wife. We had a son, so I, hopefully he's counted. Well, he will be the next time there's a census. Actually, there was a census recently. Was he born already? I can't I recall. I remember filling it out, but I don't think so. I, I think remember. that was before he was born. It might have been close, though, because it was reintroduced when Justin Trudeau got elected. Anyhow, that's uh, neither here nor there. So TWDrewards.com, check it out if you're in the United States and let us know what you think. See, uh, you know, I'd be curious to find out if people are really excited to participate in this kind of thing. Uh, or not. I don't know. Could go. I'm not way. a points guy. I'm more of a Canadian tire guy. <laughs> right. You know why I'm a Canadian tire money guy? Because you're Canadian and you love tires. Because they can't track what I purchase. They just, uh, they, you spend money at Canadian tire. They give you your change back. They open a separate drawer. They give you some additional bills and you walk away. When I spend that Canadian tire money, it's not tied to me. So they're not tracking, mm. uh, what my like who got the points for what. So they can't sell that data to someone else. Sure. I don't like it that they're selling that data. That's why I don't have air miles. I don't use uh, grocery store points. I don't use drugstore points. I don't use any of that stuff because I don't like the fact that they're tracking it. And someday they may sell that to my insurance company and go, man, you buy a lot of jujubes. I don't know if we're going to be able to give you insurance at that low rate that uh, we normally give to people who don't buy a lot of jujubes. I can see your point, but in the short term, I've saved a lot of money on groceries with the point system. Well, that, that's, my wife does that. Jenny has the oh, okay. point system and she does that. So it's tracking it at a family level. It's just, I personally have a, a disdain for point systems. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, too bad you can't even use Canadian tire money anymore. Well, yeah, I got a stack of it. Going to frame it, I guess. I don't know what to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Wallpaper your wall with it. That would look cool. <laughs> That'd be All $37 of it. That'd be extremely Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, sorry, Rattle. No problem. Let's move on to some feedback about last week's episode. Listener feedback. All right. So this first email comes from Chris in the UK. And Chris writes, regarding Madison and Walker leaving, I half agree that this was a bad idea, but I think that applies more to Walker than Madison. Jake is the apparent leader of the ranchers, whereas Walker is the actual leader of the other side. Madison does not have control over her people like Walker does over his. That said, it may yet, uh, it may yet be that despite his words, Walker actually does have ideas of taking full control, and he's deliberately getting out of the way to let his people do their thing. If they get back and his people are in charge, he's sitting pretty. And if something has been tried and it fails, Walker gets to say, nothing to do with me. And if anything, establish even greater control in a look what happens when I'm not here kind of way. So this is in response to us talking about how 
it's a terrible idea that they basically the leaders of both sides of this community just up yep. and leave for a while. Um, and Chris is saying that, sure, for Madison, that's fine. But Walker, he's been the leader of those people for a long time. So if he goes, it's not nearly as serious a problem for everyone that he leaves behind because they know what to do. And if something goes wrong, they know how to handle it. Right. So it gives you plausible deniability while you're away. Well, in a, in a way, yeah. Yeah. But it also just, you know, gets him, he, he also just doesn't have to worry as much about what's going to happen if he's not around because he's been doing this for a long time. He's got his right hand people and they're going to handle things if he's gone. And if something does go terribly wrong, well, he can either say, uh, you know, I wasn't here and let's, you know, in a way that sort of gives him more ammunition to say, you people all have to leave. Right. That's, that's the same reason why the, uh, the, the secret Mountie police don't tell the prime minister about uh, the aliens that are living in the North Pole. Cause, uh, if the prime minister knows and it goes bad, it's all his fault. But if the prime minister doesn't know and the aliens are all benign, then uh, he can benefit from the fact that aliens have invaded, uh, Canada. <laughs> to steal all our Canadian tire money. Well, yeah, to, you know, they're stealing all our polar ice. But anyway, it does, it's neither here nor there. But uh, it's the same kind of thing, right? So uh, uh, you don't tell, you know, he gives them uh, the ability to deny it if something right. goes wrong. Right. Smart. Smart. Um, you know, we, we might get into a little bit more of of Walker being away and Madison being away when we talk about this, this week's episode. Uh, but in the context of last week's, I think Chris makes a good point and that it's really dumb for Madison to leave. Uh, when she's trying or stepping into that, just stepping into that leadership role at the ranch. Yeah. Uh, Dan in Columbus, Ohio wrote in, I think what is great about Madison and Strand's relationship is that he is the only person she trusts and is real with. Madison trusts her kids, but is never authentic with them because she's trying to protect them. Everyone else Madison just schemes with. Strand uh, cuts through Madison's bullshit and gets the real Madison. He also challenges her and she listens. I'm glad they're back together. They're a good team. They are a good team. They're good for each other. I think so too. And again, I don't want to just say the same thing over and over again, but this episode reinforces that quite a bit this week. It it does. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's good. Uh, now finally here, and a few people wrote in about this and it's kind of just an Easter egg from last week, but I thought it'd be fun to mention. You look like you're chewing on a jujube there. Uh, no, it's a, it's a Tums. My tummy is... A little upset. Okay, I hope Sorry. you're right. I've got it on mute. I hope you you're didn't okay. didn't have to point it out. I know, but with the jujube talk, anyways. Elodie in France writes, when Madison and Walker enter the arena, did you notice what music was playing in the background? Before I go on, did you notice? <sighs> I did notice, but I forget now. Okay, it's all right. It's the music used in Breaking Bad at the beginning of the seventh episode of the second season. The title of the song is The Ballad of Heisenberg. Oh, that, no, I didn't notice. I remembered paying attention to the lyrics, or not the lyrics, but the music, but uh, no, I did not make the connection to Breaking Bad. So Fear the Walking Dead has included a song that was prominent in uh, Breaking Bad, and it's called The Ballad of Heisenberg. And this got people thinking, once again, that the Walking Dead universe is the same universe as Breaking Bad, in that Breaking Bad is a prequel to The Walking Dead. <laughs> I do remember that song now because it was a, a bit of a music video. Right. It was went in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
It was That's a, great. It was a music video in the cold open of that episode of Breaking Bad, I, I believe. And so we've also had Blue Meth on the main show. We have. And I don't have the line in front of me, but there's a there's a uh, there's another reference in the main show to Breaking Bad where Daryl says something about um, Merle's dealer being some scrawny little white dude or something like that. Yeah. And so people are thinking that's another Breaking Bad reference. So now we've had three, more or less, and people seem to think that Breaking Bad is a prequel to the zombie apocalypse in The Walking Dead. Good. Which That's is awesome. I think Madison should come out and say, I am the danger at some point. Uh, yeah. I think that'd be perfect. That would be pretty cool. So Madison obviously is related to uh, Walter White, not Rick Grimes. She might be related to Skylar. Oh, could be. You know, maybe it's just, uh, you know, it's some kind of marital uh, relationship. I don't know if she's directly related to Walter White, but I would uh, I would put her at first cousins with uh, with Skylar. Okay. Yeah, that that could be it. I mean, it doesn't have to be that direct a relationship, right? Just a cousin or a... It could be second cousins once removed. There you go. Could be. Well, Dave Erickson, the showrunner for Fear, was asked about this, and here's what he said. He said, I tried to be subtle with it. That was probably the moment when I fell the most deeply in love with Breaking Bad, when they did that cold open music video. Yeah, there we go. As we were looking for pieces to incorporate into this world, it had the right vibe to it. It's a gentle nod of admiration and adoration to Vince Gilligan. Yeah. So Which he deserves. Vince Gilligan, absolutely. The guy's a genius, if you ask me, with yeah. the, what he's done for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and so on. But uh, no, you know, Dave Erickson, of course, doesn't come out and say, yeah, 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 it's the same universe. Uh, we're writing the same thing here. Kirkman's on board. Gilligan's on board. Everybody is. But... Of course They not. don't know. They, they don't care. No, not at all. They just like I to... I mean, hell, even in this first Star Wars movie, uh, Lucas didn't know that uh, Darth Vader was Luke's father. Doesn't make sense in the first movie. It makes sense in the second movie, but he didn't know. You don't think so? I think he No, knows. absolutely not. Why wouldn't Vader know that friggin' uh, Tatooine was the place that he grew up? He'd be like, oh, I know this place. My Uncle Owen and Beru live here. You know? And then, yeah, anyway. Yeah. It's funny because I, well, I mean, I always worked on the assumption that George Lucas wrote those three movies all at the same time. And that's then just because he them. lied and said he did. Oh, he's a liar. Yeah. He's an absolute liar. He's a bad person. <laughs> no, come on. He's not a bad person like Orson Scott Card is a bad person. Uh, Orson Scott Card is a bad person. I feel actually bad about saying his name on the internet. Oh. Uh, but yeah. Okay. Lucas may not be a bad person, but he, he's made some questionable decisions oh plenty about movies That's you know in his personal life I just he's a bad movie guy he's a bad uh, he's... movie guy yeah he <laughs> should retire which he did so it's all good now okay fair enough fair enough so anyways uh cool little easter egg there thanks to everyone who wrote in about that including elodie in france all right that was quick look back at last week now we're going to move on into our discussion of this week's episode of fear the walking dead it's season three episode 11 and sadly, we don't have a title read, so I'm going to do it myself. <gasps> cool. La Serpiente. Serpiente. There you go. Um, let's talk about the cold open, first of all, and and then maybe do some general thoughts on the episode and then dive in a little bit deeper. Um, so cold open, what we have is, um, uh, what do we got? We got them driving, a, driving the big water truck on their way to the dam, and they come up to a bunch of cars barricading the road, 
Um, and I'm when I say they, of course, I mean Strand and uh, uh, Walker and Madison. Yeah. They come up to a bunch of cars barricading the road, a whole bunch of zombies around. And the first thing they do is drive right up to it. They don't, yeah. they don't hang back, observe from a distance. Nope. They drive right up to this massive crowd of zombies and barricaded road, basically with nowhere to go. Which is exactly what uh, Daryl and, uh, oh, I forget who else was in the truck uh, when they were driving back and they ran into that motorcycle gang and then they blew him up with a, a rocket propelled grenade. Yep. So I was, I was expecting something like that. You're right. As soon as they pulled up, I'm like, hey, shit, man, another rocket propelled grenade. Take care of this situation just like that. Well, the difference with that, I find, is those Daryl and everyone rolled up to a group of living human beings. Now, yep. you could safely assume that they're not friendly, but you also never know. I mean, they technically could have been friendly. Zombies, never friendly. Well, yeah, hardly ever. Hardly ever. So that was the first problem I had with this scene is they just came right up to them for no hey reason. Hey guys, what are you doing? Yeah, it, it, it didn't make any sense. I'm like, if you see, you can see this well down the road, stop, you know, a far distance away, evaluate the situation, decide what you're going to do. They just drove right up and I'm, you know, normally would have been surrounded by all the truck or the, because of the noise the truck was making. So I didn't really understand that. Um, that decision on the road there. Yeah. So they had a, they had radios, they have weapons, they have, I assume provisions and some other gear and stuff. Do you think they have any binoculars? I would think they would have binoculars. Do you think there's any binoculars in that huge friggin' pantry underneath the cabin, main cabin? I I think there's some binoculars down there. It would have helped to have some binoculars, but even without them, you know, your eyes don't have to be that good to see a giant blockade of cars up ahead in the distance with, you know, people or zombies milling around. Yeah. So it, it, it bothered me a little bit that they just drove right up to it. Then to get out of this situation. <laughs> the, the dumbest thing in the world happened? Is that, is that the thing you're talking about? Well, I'm going to read an email here from <laughs> a listener, Noop J in uh, Dallas, I think he is. He writes, holy crap, Strand has a magic beepy thing. It not only beeps louder than a large engine of a truck, but louder than the sound of grinding the grind... Louder than the sound of grinding metal of cars being pushed out of the way. Minor complaint. Um, also, why not just run over them? Their truck was massive. <laughs> and, you know, it may be a minor complaint, but again, it seems stupid. Like to have a tiny little garage door beeper or whatever that was, making a little beep, beep, beep noise with a loud truck right there and the moaning and groaning of zombies he throws it out the window and they all just flock right to it, allowing them to drive through the cars. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous. It was the dumbest thing in the world. It was, it was close. Um, and then, and then the other thing is the final thing I didn't like about this cold open is that it wasn't clear to me at first. I had to rewatch it a couple of times what they, where they went after they pushed through those two cars. It was a junkyard. It was, but I didn't realize at first that they turned off the main road. What oh. I, what I saw was them push through those cars after having seen like off into the distance being the entire highway blocked, right? There's no way they could have driven down the highway, cut to them in the junkyard. And I went back and I was like, did I miss something? How did they get here? Like, how did they get off the road? And when I went back and watched, it's clear that they turn off the road because they mm. pass in front of that Jesus sign that Strand mentions right um but it's a very quick shot and i didn't find it clear at first but then 
I noticed and I figured it out. So they pushed through those two cars, turn right and go off the road. And the idea was that the beeper was used to distract the zombies enough so that they could do that. So I just assumed the freeway terminated in a junkyard. Yeah, well, in retrospect, I guess I never really thought about it, but you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Driving down the highway and it ends up in a junkyard. Well, I'm saying it, it could have, but it doesn't. And, uh, <laughs> highways rarely, well, they not intentionally, not intentionally, uh, terminate in a junkyard. Right. But, but all I'm saying is that they showed us a long shot into the distance of the road. And then to me at first, it wasn't clear that they turned off the road. I, th- I felt like I missed something there, but that I'm okay with that. It makes sense. The beeper I thought was kind of dumb and, uh, just driving right up to the, the, you know, right up to the wreck was, was kind of dumb. So the, the episode didn't start great for me. Having said that, I think everything that came after it in this episode was really, really good. And I ended up really enjoying this one. Um, just, just off to a bit of a rough start. Yeah, it was a bit of a rough start. I, I think, um, uh, I don't, I, I may not have enjoyed it as much as you did, but, uh, it was better than the cold open. Well, Except yeah. for I like a good road movie, so I was you know hey driving down the road on a in a truck you know driving down the open road. This uh, reminds me of Smoking the Bandit and Convoy and all those kind of good movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Cannonball Run. Yep. Uh, it's a mad 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 world. Uh, all like basically fun road movies. You should watch it's a mad 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 world. I watched that recently. It's really funny. Okay, I'll... and it's got everybody in it. Friggin' Don Knotts. A oh, bit old, part. Don Knotts plays Nots. a bit part. How can you get any better than that? Well, it must have been a pretty solid cast if Don Knotts was only in a bit part. I think it was before he was really famous. Could like, have been that too. It, yeah. It actually had Don Knotts who was in uh, Three's Company. It also had Mr. Roper who was <laughs> in Mr. in Three's Company. So it was, uh, it was quite the cast. That's, anyway. Yeah. That seems like uh, too much Three's Company for one movie. <laughs> oh, but there was so much more. Okay. All right. Andy Rooney. Uh, anyway, uh, no, Mickey Rooney. I always get those confused. Road movies. I was excited about the beginning of this episode because I thought we were going to get ourselves like, uh, some kind of, uh, you know, road trip. Well, this, this episode starts as a road trip, turns into a sewer trip and ends as a road trip. Um, yeah. but there's, there's also a bunch of other damn stuff in the middle there that I really enjoyed a lot of. So sewer trip, damn stuff, road trip. Got it. That's right. Um, What I liked about it, though, is that it was basically a bottle episode. You know, it only featured a small subset of the characters, mostly at one location. But it felt to me like a very well-crafted, self-contained story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a point to it. And, you know, they arrived at the dam, they negotiated, they came to a deal, and they moved on. And I thought it was interesting. I thought there was lots of great acting in it you know a good a lot of good performances and every character that we had in this episode uh was important and i think that almost everybody had to develop a little bit change learn something based on you know the events of the episode and to me it felt like the episode generally solved a lot of problems that, that had been plaguing these characters for a while. And now we can kind of move on from that stuff. Oh yeah. All the problems are solved. They're all solved. At well, the end of this, they're like, everybody's, what everybody wanted, they got. 
well, more or less. I mean, I do have some outstanding things, which I want to, I, I think we'll talk about at the end, but yeah, I mean, the water shortage seems to have been solved for now. Situation solved. Yeah. You know, Strand and Daniel conflict basically solved for now. Yep. Uh, Madison and Walker conflict, you know, they, they butted heads a fair bit in this episode, but at the end they drove off into the sunset holding hands. So like, yeah, it's, it feels like they wrapped up a lot of that stuff and I'm sure not entirely, but then when we move on next week with things, we're going to be dealing with other problems, which you can kind of see coming, but I like that this episode was self-contained, dealt with a lot of this stuff and wasn't too grandiose, if you know what I mean, right? They got right. somewhere, they did a thing and then they left. And Madison, or, uh, um, I forget his name already. I was just about to say it. His name was Strand. Yeah, Strand, uh, you know, had Madison to make his lies come true. You know, I know where Ophelia is. She's like, oh, I know where Ophelia is. It's yeah. like, oh, okay, I lied about that before, but now it's true. So that's got to be good, right? And and I, I, I can see how someone would say that's, you know, overly convenient, but I liked it. I thought it was a clever sort of turn of events to have to have Strand be kicked out and at odds with Daniel because uh, he lied about where Ophelia was. And then Madison shows up and, and yeah, it's like, well, I can make good on your promise, dude. So yeah, this is all coming together. <laughs> it's like wicked. Everything's coming up Ophelia. <laughs> yeah. You know? So uh, yeah. And Strand right at the beginning, like how to get to the, uh, how to get to the dam. He obviously didn't tell Madison and Walker what the plan was. So I thought that was a kind of a shitty thing to do. Like, you know, tell me how we're going to get there. Just drive down this road. Like I, I would go apeshit if someone was uh, trying to, I was trying to go someplace and drive somebody someplace and they would just give me turn by turn directions. It's like, no, no, give me an idea. Are we going like 15 minutes down the road? Or are we going like six hours down the road? It's like, Well, we're going to drive down the road for a while until I tell you to turn. Right. So you just mean he should have said, we're going to drive, we're going to get to a junkyard, we're going to have to crawl through a sewer and yeah. then be almost there. Yeah. Tell him the plan. But then again, there's that old trope, which, uh, you know, in television and movies, if you state the plan, it never works. Mm -hmm. But if you don't state the plan, it always works. And Strand is smart enough to know these things, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess he knows that he's on TV. He might. He seems like the, he seems maybe like the only character in this show that seems to know he's on TV. One of the notes I said, I put here is that Strand feels to me, still like him, still think he's a cool character. And, but I, I get this kind of feeling that he's going a little more one-liney than he used to be. He, he always has a clever quip, you know, he's a little bit like, um, uh, Oh my God. What's his name? Han Solo? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I was thinking Han Solo in this episode. Well, okay. He, he's like that too, but, um, you know, from the main show, the, the big dude who got his head bashed in. Oh, uh, Abraham. A Abraham. God damn. Just uh, like an, a, a caricature of himself. A little bit. I, I do think Abraham, um, by the end of things was, was just fine on the main show. I don't, don't want to get into that right now, but. Well, even Negan, I mean, this, oh. this show kind of has this as a thing, right? So now we have one, we have a guy in this series, in this particular show that is a caricature of himself. A little bit. Yeah. Now I made a few notes here and Strand doesn't bother me that much, but I made a few notes here of some of his one-liners and there's the, 
there's the bit where he says the dead don't drive, right? They don't. No, they that's don't. A, that's, that's a whole movie right there. They could make a movie out of that. They were going to, weren't they? We talked about that. They're making a, <laughs> like, a Daytona 500 of the dead or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I forget. But no. I mean, yeah, Dead Don't Drive, that's a good movie. That's a, that's a, that's a plot right there. It was Romero. He was, he was pitching yeah, this right. before he died. Um, and then when they're going down into the sewer, Strand says, the smell's a bitch slap. Yeah, you know, I, was, I was hoping you would, uh, I couldn't remember exactly what that was, but yeah, it smells a bitch slap. I'm, yeah, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to add that to my lexicon. Okay, good. You can make sure you credit Coleman Domingo as Strand. Sure. Um, and then this one isn't really a one-liner, but sometimes I feel like Strand knows the perfect thing to say just a little too much. And in this case, he says to um, Walker, he says, it's not possible to have a sense of tragedy without having a sense of humor. And I, there's technically nothing wrong with that line, but for me, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing a real person would say. So it kind it sounds of, to me like something a writer would write. Well, this is what I'm saying, and that's not <laughs> what you want usually. So they're giving strands the strand these lines that are a little bit, you know, camera, comedy tragedy, camera winky and stuff. Yeah. So, um, but but overall, I I don't mind it at all. Um, really with Strand, he's, he's still super entertaining. So, um, getting back to the beginning though, uh, you know, they get out of the, they go down to the sewer, they're crawling through the sewer. What did, what did you think of these scenes down in the sewer? I thought they were pretty well executed, claustrophobic and super nasty down there. Uh, it, I did get a sense that it smelled bad. Oh yeah. Cause it was such a bitch slap, but, uh, <laughs> well, he told you it I'm, smells bad. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, it's nice when they tell you stuff that you don't know already. Right. Cause if they tell you stuff you already know, then True. they've failed as a story in my opinion. Yep. But, um, I didn't really get a sense of claustrophobia. Now I've, I am claustrophobic. I'm absolutely claustrophobic, which is exactly why I would, could, and could never have been an astronaut. Because I'm afraid of enclosed spaces. And that's all an astronaut is. You're just, well, you know, other than the uh, speed, fire, and high places, which are other fears of mine. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's a lot of confined spaces. Like, have you ever taken a video tour of the International Space Station? Oh, yeah. I've been. Oh, my God. I've been in submarines, man. You wouldn't like those either. You've been in a submarine? Well, not underwater, but I've gone in at the uh, uh, USS... Oh, the one in New York. Is it the Intrepid, the aircraft carrier that's in the uh, harbor yeah. there? They have There's a su- submarine and you can go on it. Oh, I want to do that. No, you don't. Not if you like, don't like enclosed spaces. Well, I don't like the idea of not being able to get out of enclosed spaces. And if they're going to let the public into something, they're going to have a way to get the public out of something if there's a, a claustrophobic situation. So you can right? reason your way out of a claustrophobic feeling. Yeah, I could not reason my way out of crawling through an actual sewer or... Uh, Okay, yeah. just, that just brought up a memory of seeing something on the internet that <laughs> I don't want to think about that freaked me out the other night just as I was falling asleep. We're going to move on. Right. I am claustrophobic. I uh, have read stories that have made me extremely uncomfortable. I have watched stories. The Descent had made me extremely uncomfortable because of the claustrophobic aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not get that from this episode. Interesting. I, it did I, not trigger that for me. And it has, stories have done that before. Not even when they're crawling through and they meet Mr. Waterlog zombie there? 
no, because they had enough room. There was like uh, four feet by four feet or whatever. They could only crawl. Mm -hmm. But if it was like shoulder width or a little bit narrower than shoulder width and they couldn't get their hands, move their hands and had to wriggle like a little worm and stuff, that would freak the shit out of me. Okay, but fair enough. that kind of area, no, that's fine. Because I know that, you know, they're not going to put actors in a situation where they're going to be in any kind of danger. And so this looks, yeah, it just, it did not trigger that fear for me and- uh, that's a normal thing that gets triggered by, uh, uh, by stories. The Running Man, short story, Stephen King, The Running Man, not the stupid movie, the short Stephen King short story. There's a scene where he's crawling through the sewer and it just, I had to stop reading for a while. <laughs> I know I've seen the movie. I, I think I've read that story. It's been a while though. It's totally different. It's a different story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no. not, it's not a game. It's not, well, it's a game show, but uh, you don't have to escape in like 15 minutes or less. It's like, no, you, here you go. Oh, they open up the doors to the studio and say, you got 30 days. If you're still alive after 30 days, you get to leave. Oh. And then the whole world is basically hunting you down because of this uh, game show. Jesus. That's crazy. Yeah. It's much, much better movie, in my opinion, oh. than the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, piece of shit they made. <laughs> right. Uh, anyways, I, I, I liked the sewer stuff. I thought it was, if not claustrophobic, I was uncomfortable down there. Super gross. And I just sort of thought to myself, it couldn't have been very fun to film that. Just crawling through brown water and. Oh, they just. Nasty. It's made out of chocolate. And I don't care. I, I wouldn't want to, you want to roll around in that and like well, get sprayed with gunk and all that. Well, kind I don't want to be an actor. So no, I'm just saying. Uh, Waterlogged. If I was zombie. an actor, I'd be all for it. I guess so. They get paid well, so what are you gonna yeah, do? Yeah, if I was an actor that was trying out for The Walking Dead, I think I would be the type of person that'd be just fine with that. I am right. In, put me in the sewer, everybody. Yeah. I'm right on board. I'm right there with you. So, Waterlogged Zombie reminded me a little bit of Teabag from way oh, yeah. back in season two of the main show. Yep, the one that was in the well. Uh, this was a little over the top nasty unnecessarily, but at the same time, that's going to be gross. If you encounter a big fat zombie, like stuck in a pipe like that, um, you know, Madison cutting off its head and then passing it back to the other guys was just gross. And then of clear course, the clog, my friend, you do, I know. But then the arm, you know, it's like strand, pull the arm. I'm going to hack away at it until it comes. <laughs> and then basically the whole thing explodes into them. So yeah, it made me giggle. I mean, it did remind me of the teabag zombie, obviously, or the waterlog zombie in the in the main show. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was, <laughs> it's just Madison's matter of fact. Well, we can't go around. We've got to go through. How do you go through? Well, chop it up into little pieces. Here we go. Right. And then, yeah, they take the head off. They take an arm off. And then as we cut to commercial, you just see a big rush of of water. So I guess they got enough off that the rest of them just disintegrated and got washed out of the pipe. Yep. Pretty clear those clogs. I did the same thing to the, uh, the sink in the bathroom upstairs just yesterday. Yeah. Probably. I, I use Drano because, uh, the, I don't want to get into wet hair, but that's another thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the hair gets, oh, it just clogs up those drains and you just got to reach down in there and pull it out. No way, man. Chemicals. <laughs> I'd much rather use seven minutes of uh, very toxic, nasty chemicals just sitting there and all of a sudden, gone. Everything's Sweet. gone. All right. Well, <laughs> it happens in my house. I live with three women. There's a lot of hairbrushing that goes on and clogs up drains. I just, wet hair is a thing. Just, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Jason's a uh, 
here's my yeah never wet hair guy he takes showers and keeps his head out the whole time <laughs> no as long as it's, if it's attached to a person or an animal not a problem mm. if it's like loose on something or in something and you got to deal with it i just it's just ugh, That's ugh. Pretty, it's pretty gross it's pretty gross <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right well this episode to me after this point sort of was kind of all about the relationships of these characters. And that's sort of how I approached thinking about it a bit. You know, we, we learned things about, we learned things about Madison and Strand, Madison and Walker, Madison and Daniel, Daniel and Lola, stuff like that. You know, how these people interact with each other. And I made a bunch of notes sort of going through each one of those, those pairings. Yeah. Um, because I think that was a big part of this episode and, and important to it all. So to start with Madison and Strand, what I took away with it from it is that, you know, she has a deep trust and respect for this guy. Even when he admits that he's lost in the sewers, she's like, no, 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 we can, we can figure this out. You know, I, we know what we're doing. We'll, we'll get through this. Whereas with anybody else, I feel like she would have maybe tried to take control or maybe not even gotten into that situation with them because she wouldn't have trusted their instincts. But with Strand, you know, she seems to be willing to follow him wherever, even when he's like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. That's okay. I mean, I, I put a lot of, uh, I have a lot of respect for people that can admit when they're wrong or admit when they don't know something. Mm-hmm. So that, that's fine for me. Like I had no problem with that. Yeah, I'm totally lost. It's like, okay, now we're going to deal with this situation. Sure. But I think, that, but I, but I don't know if that's Madison's like first instinct with people, right? Except for Strand. That's what I'm saying. Like she, she seems to have a really tight, respectful relationship with him specifically. Right. And well, I, she knows that, that he doesn't want to kill her children. That's true. Like that, he, she knows that from the outset. Everybody else, their motives are suspect, but she knows Strand is uh, an up and up guy. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. He's, he's trying his best. <laughs> Which he's earned. Like in the first season, we didn't know that. I didn't trust him. I thought he'd end up being a bad guy, but mm -hmm. uh, he's earned my trust. So when he admits he doesn't know what's going on, fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. My favorite scene in the, in the episode, I think though, was when the two of them were, uh, closer to the end, were sitting on the two beds talking and, you know, they're, they're holding hands, you know, across the bed and just having another one of their heart to hearts there. Like they did in the, in the last episode. Yeah. Um, I like these two as a pair, to be honest with you. I think they work really well together. Yep. They're and, a good team. And they're a great, great team. Uh, and I like that he asked her, he's the only person that's asked Madison, if you remove your kids from the picture, what do you want? Like, what are you trying to do here if you're not trying to keep them safe? And she didn't really have an answer for him, right? Nope. She, that's okay. They just joked about her in the eighties having a perm and stuff like that. And yeah, getting tickets to cheap trick. Yeah. Cheap trick. <laughs> like nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, but I think it was interesting that she didn't really know. She does everything for her kids and for her family. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, uh, it strikes me as entirely within her personality to not have a personal agenda. Right. And, and Strand is the only person she can admit that to. Yeah. You know what I mean? She opens up to him. She is really genuine with him. And we don't see that with anyone else on the show now that Travis is gone. But I would argue that 
even with Travis, she wasn't as sort of open as she is with Strand at this point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which, which says a lot. So um, I really liked it. You know, at the end, when they're driving home down the highway, um, she thanks him for everything he's done. And they almost kind of joke around about helping each other out. So yeah. these, these two are these two are tight. Well, that's Tyrion's uh, power on uh, Game of Thrones, is that uh, he asks people what they want and then tries to figure out a way to give it to them while gaining something himself. Like if you watch Game of Thrones right from the beginning, uh, just pay attention to Tyrion. He's always asking, what do you want? What do you want to do? What What's your goal? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And then he uses that to manipulate, or not manipulate, but maneuver around. That's his, uh, that's his big power. He drinks and he knows things. And he <laughs> asks you, and he asks you what you want. Well, and that, tries to give it to you. The, those are his words, aren't they? Drinking they and are. knowing things. Yeah. Well, that's that's interesting. I mean, if you can work to what someone else wants and somehow transform that into benefiting you as well, that's a skill right there. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the primary reason uh, Tyrion Lannister uh, has survived so long in that show. Well, probably, yeah. He 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 gives people what they want, but also makes them want to help him in a way, right? Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, Madison Strand, great on-screen pair, great couple of characters, and uh, I just love watching them work together, so I'm glad they're back together. Uh, Madison and Walker, different kind of relationship. Yep. Um, you know, they seem to be reluctantly trusting each other to a point, but this whole episode made me feel like Madison really has the power sort of in this relationship because he's following her the whole time until he <laughs> finally gets up and leaves. But it's not the first time he's threatened that either. He's done that a couple of times. Like he should change his name in this episode from Walker to Quitter. Like, <laughs> I'm, that's it. I'm out. And then, you know, he, he I forget the exact circumstances of the first time, but he's basically said, uh, that's it. I'm done. Uh, you know, this is not going to work. And then he goes to Strand and says, look, you got to get this, uh, you got to get this water because we had a deal for water. And if you don't get the water, then well. I got to take my people and leave. So I'm going to, I'm going to take my ball and go home is basically what he's doing. Yep. And then he, then at the end he does exactly that. He's like, screw this. I'm leaving. Like, no, no, come on. We're all close here. It's like, no, fuck you. I'm taking my ball and going home. Yeah. And then, yeah, he just, he's, he just quits. He just, you know, rage quits everything. But here's the thing. He's, he doesn't, he, he's not quitting the ranch. He doesn't say I'm taking my people and leaving. He's saying, I'm going to go back and kick out your people and we're staying. Well, yes. Okay. So semantics. Not so really. <laughs> that's a big he's difference. He's not saying he's leaving. He's saying that, you know, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with you people. Uh, you know, I, I quit this relationship is what, what he's doing. Right. I guess. But if, to me, he feels a bit like a bunch of empty threats because yes, he leaves at the end and he starts walking home. Um, we don't really know how far away he is, but we do know that the, uh, the marketplace from last week is halfway in between the two camps, which we'll talk about, but Madison did say at one point, if we leave, we'll be there by nightfall. So it can't be that far. All right. So it's a day's well, trip. I'd, I'd... But she didn't say where there was. I mean, it, she could have meant the, uh, uh, the marketplace. She could have meant, uh, you know, a motel somewhere where they had stayed the night. Probably means the ranch. <laughs> she probably, yeah. So is this a day away, half a day away? Well, okay. It's not out of beyond the realm of possibility that he could walk there. I'm just, 
what I took away from all this was like, he threatened to leave a couple times in the sewer. He does leave for a second. Like he stops following them, goes off on his own and then immediately shows back up again because there are zombies or infected down there in the sewers and he has to run away from them. Um, but he threatens to go a few times until finally he leaves because he doesn't feel like he's getting what he wants. But at the same time, for most of the episode, I kind of had the feeling that Walker was just following along because, I don't know, because Madison said so. And he was trying yeah. to trust her that something was going to happen here. So, you know, I, I, I think he stood up for himself a little bit by leaving, but to me, it took him too long. He should have left earlier. And, yeah, uh, I don't know. He just, he seemed like a bit of a whiner to me. A little bit of a whiner, yeah. Um, but I guess it shows that he was just kind of hanging on, but he really does have zero loyalty, like no loyalty to her. Um, at least, you know, I guess he gained some at the end there when everything seemed to work out in the end, but, uh. Yeah, for now. I mean, but like, what have you done for me lately? By the time they get to the ranch, uh, with this truck full of water and a promise to have a whole bunch more delivered on a regular basis, he's going to get there and say, well, yeah, what have you done for me today? Well, yeah, I do feel like he's that kind of guy and he's always going to be using this, um, we're kicking you out threat, right? It's like, do this or we're kicking you out. Make sure nothing goes wrong or we're kicking you out. That's because Madison gave him all the guns. Yeah, he has both the keys, which I assume he doesn't have both on him right now. He left them back at the ranch, right? I don't know. They're all pretty stupid leaving the ranch, so they might have taken them with them, and they're like, oh, crap, I got both keys. I guess they're going to have to uh, use the bolt cutters that are right next to the padlocks uh, to release all the guns. Right. Because I bet you they got bolt cutters. Oh, they probably do. We'll keep these here in case we lose the keys or we lock the keys inside. (laughs) Yeah. Please use keys and not bolt cutters to access all of these firearms. Yeah, that's right. We'll print print up a couple of those signs. (laughs) Just duct tape them to the cage. There you go. Uh, Madison and Daniel. Let's talk about those two for a second. I I don't have a lot to say on this, this relationship other than that I thought Madison was awfully confident that Daniel would help them. You know? Well, why not? He, she knows where Ophelia is. He doesn't know where the ranch is. She does. I know, but you know, they, I don't feel like they ended their relationship on great terms way back there when Daniel was in the fire, but, uh, uh, she just seemed overly confident to me a little bit that Daniel would help, but I think it's because I get the feeling that they, I don't know, they do respect each other a fair bit still. Um, yeah. Well, willfully burning yourself in a fire destroys almost any relationship. That's my experience. <laughs> yes, willfully. That's right. Uh, but it didn't destroy their relationship entirely, it seems. Right. So, you know, you know, because he didn't die in a fire, right? So that true. gives you room for repair. Whereas if he did die in a fire, it's hard to repair that relationship. It's, it, it is hard to repair that. So, so I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure... I, I feel like they're going to have a sort of uneasy relationship now that they're business partners, if anything else, moving forward. Uh, although I would, I'm sure we're going to see the first water exchange or the first attempt at water exchange next week. That being said, I don't think we're going to see it really play out after that very much because bigger problems are going to arise. 
Yeah. So I don't know, you know, the Madison and Daniel relationship is probably going to be forced to become much more of an alliance, I think, when they realize that the guy running the marketplace is not going to want their water exchanges happening right outside his door and he doesn't have a part in it, right? That's true. He's going to want a, you know, part of that water and uh, part of Ophelia. I don't know. He's going to, he's just, he, you know, if he's running this marketplace where you trade and stuff like that, he's going to want in on this trade. The proctor. That's a really good point, actually. What was written on the sticky note? Do you know? Uh, it was the amounts. It was the amount that- Of? Of, of weapons that Lola wanted for water. Yeah. I, I, I tried to, uh, I tried to pause and read that note because there was one point where you could see the writing, but I couldn't quite get to it. I was wondering if you had- Oh. Any opportunity to figure out what that said? No, I didn't figure it out. I don't have the actual numbers there, but she wrote down what she thinks she needs to defend the dam from all the people that she's trying yeah, well, to help. <laughs> Daniel wrote it down and then handed it to her and then she handed it over. Oh, so yeah, it was, yeah. It was Daniel's who came up with the number, but I'm just wondering what that number was, right? Because they told you the number, that holds the number of gallons of water right. uh, on a regular basis. I forget the actual number, but... Uh, and you know, it's an old, it's a trope in TV where you write down an amount and pass it to somebody rather than saying it because that'll date your television show or movie like that. If you say, well, it's a big time salary, it's $37,000 a year. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, that's a salary now, but it's not the big time salary it was in uh, 1983. Or whatever. Yeah. Right. No, I understand. So, what? I understand. Yeah. You write it down so you don't have to say it and then it can be whatever number you want. That's right. right. So, uh, but they did show the text at some point, but it wasn't, uh, I didn't, my screen couldn't zoom in or was big enough to, uh, for me to be able to make it out and pausing doesn't actually make it clear either. So you have to, I'd have to go through some kind of, uh, CSI. Enhance. Uh, enhance where they could pivot the camera uh -huh. and zoom in and then, uh, you know, if it was not written on, I could, uh, you know, digitally rub a pencil over it to see what, uh, what the number was underneath because CSI is magic. Yeah. It's very magic. I lack that technological magic to read that text. Well, you'll have to get it somehow. Uh, anything else about Madison and Daniel? I, I just don't think there's a lot going on there other than they're going to go for one water exchange and that'll be that. I still don't think Daniel Salazar should be alive. I think he should have died in the fire. I'm resentful that he's still alive and in, in the show at all. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean. Um, but I don't know. He's, he's, he's doing interesting things here, I, I think. It could have been a different character. Like, why Daniel? Why I don't, do I bring him back? I'll be surprised if he survives the season, to be honest. I, I don't think Daniel's Until next season, or maybe the season after. No, no, no. I think he's going to die before the end of season three. Yeah, but he, he died last season. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> they, they fooled us once. <laughs> Done that know. before. Yeah, yeah. What about Daniel and Lola? So two kind of side characters here. Um, how do you feel about him seeming so super loyal to Lola? I mean, even to the point where he finds out where his daughter is, which we thought was his sole purpose for living until this point. But then he decides that he's going to stay at the dam anyways and not go to Ophelia. I think he was uh, hampered by plot device. It, uh, yeah. He should have gotten in a car and left. Like, oh, you, you know where my daughter is? Tell me where that is. 
I'll meet you there when you get back. Right. I'm done here. I'm going there. <laughs> <laughs> you bring in water. That's it. That's all I wanted. Yeah. You know, they got water. I wanted water. You're bringing water to the place where my daughter is. I will be with my daughter when you bring the water. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I mean, he's been all about finding her up until this point. And now suddenly he's like, nope, I'm going to stay here because I made a promise to you, a person I just met and you need me more or something like that. I feel like he should have up and left pretty much. Yeah. He made a promise to me about dying in that fire. And he, he didn't live up to that promise. Couldn't even keep that. Yeah. And, and then later on in the episode, he's having a conversation with Lola and he tries to convince her that their water distribution plan isn't sustainable anyways, because the people are never going to be happy and there's always going to be someone who wants to attack them or take more water or whatever. So I feel like he's, he's saying, I want, I'm, I want to stay here to help you, but this plan's not going to work anyway. So he, he kind of isn't really seeing things straight in a way. And if they yeah. just stuck to his character motivation of finding his daughter, Ophelia, I feel like it would have made more sense. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, if you've, if anybody has ever seen uh, a history show or read a history book, being a benevolent, you know, perfectly benevolent distributor of a vital resource to the masses uh, for their own good doesn't mean that the masses will be happy with you, nor does it mean that they won't rise up to get control of that resource. Yeah. Doesn't she, doesn't he even say something like that to her? Like you're, you're never going to keep everyone happy. And well, you can't, I mean, it's human beings. Like <laughs> right. I've got a circle of friends and family that, uh, you know, are the tight circle of like 20, 30 people. And I can't, can't keep those people happy, <laughs> let alone, you know, being in control of water for however many thousands of people. Yeah. Like they're going to find guns and they're going to come after you. They're, they are going to, that's, what people tend to do. Yeah. Um, what I did like about that scene though, between Daniel and Lola is that she eventually tells him, look, get on board or leave. She gives him this ultimatum. She shows a, or, or she, you know, she shows a, 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 a sign of force or she gives him a show of force. Right. And she yep. does this because earlier in the episode, Madison told her to do that. Madison goes to her and says, you know, I know you're afraid. I know you don't want to give us the water, whatever, whatever. And Madison says to her, sometimes a leader has to show force to gain respect. And then later on, she does this to Daniel. She says, either get on board or leave. And yep. that's it. So I did think that was, an, again, a clever kind of writing circle, sort of. Lola's, yeah. Lola learns something from one character, uses it against her own, her own person, and... Uh, it, 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 it kind of worked for me. So, um, Daniel and Lola. Yeah. I, I just wish Daniel had just stayed true to his character though and, and moved right on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this episode, I just, I think it did a lot of good things for the relationships between these characters. And I, there's probably more here as well, but, uh, I don't think we need to get into the strand Walker relationship. They've really just met each other and clearly are <laughs> not really the best of friends. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the episode also for me kind of just portrayed some, some good information, even though it was, it was kind of related to the situation at the dam. I'm thinking about the scene where strand is treating the fat guy who got grazed by the bullet. Yep. Um, the whole thing, that whole thing, 
scene, I think, was to fill us in on what's going on at the dam and how everyone's feeling about it, right? We learn yeah. that, that Daniel thinks a revolt from the people uh, is coming, and Ephraim says that Daniel is being paranoid, and he wants to just open the floodgates and let the water distribute itself to the people, and this is causing all the tension. So, you know, it's a little bit, um, a little bit talky, this kind of thing to kind of tell us all this stuff without portraying it, you know, showing it to us. So let me ask you a question then. But it didn't bother so, me that much. Okay, didn't didn't bother you. So when they talk about you know opening up the uh, the the floodgates and letting the water, you know, go back to being a, a river or whatever it was, right? Mm-hmm. Just let the water go, and then Strand says, "But it'll all evaporate, and you'll end up with dust." Like, what the hell do you think it's doing in that lake right now? Like, is it going to evaporate more because it's flowing down a river than it would be just sitting in the, uh, in, as a lake? Yeah, I, I was wondering that too, because he says it will evaporate. What I think he means is it will disperse and soak into the ground. Like the, the water. <laughs> That's like the opposite of evaporate. I understand. <laughs> but like the water in a mass quantity in a lake like that, it's, it's probably been there in that lake for decades. And yes, water cycles through and some soaks into the ground, some evaporates and then it rains and replenishes and stuff. I think if you open that dam, first of all, it's a really big dam. So that dam is probably holding that water back from destroying a lot of landscape and possibly towns, right? And possibly zombies. And possibly zombies. Yes, I they guess. They could take out a bunch of zombies or at least move them down river. <laughs> it would definitely push them <laughs> down river. But I think what Strand means is that the water would disperse and so, okay so he used the word evaporate in a euphemistic kind of way rather than the literal way which makes a lot of sense when you're talking about water so he should have used a different uh, metaphor i think it was a metaphor that is yeah it doesn't really work when you're actually talking about water right, right. the water will disappear right so okay um yeah but but the rest of this scene the one bit of information or the one line that i took from it that I really enjoyed was, I think Efrain says, this dam is too much power for any one person. And I totally agree with that. You know, this dam is not sustainable to be controlled by a single individual. And I realized that that mentality could describe an awful lot of scenarios in The Walking Dead. This show, the main show, the comic, everything. When you have one person controlling something really valuable or all the power, it never works out. So this the whole point of The Walking Dead is a, uh, a testimony for uh, some kind of democratic system. I guess. Of committees and elected officials to, uh, you know, propel the will of the people rather what, than their own will. What's the, what's the phrase, ultimate power corrupts ultimately or something like that? Yeah, with great power comes respons- great responsibility from Uncle Ben. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. That's the one. Yeah. I, I was close. Ultimate absolute. I think the walking dead is essentially about that. I think that this entire universe boils down to that phrase. And, uh, he basically said it here. This dam is too much power for any one person. Yeah. Human beings are all shitheads and shouldn't (laughs) have control over anything directly. Pretty much. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You we screw it up it eventually. A, uh, a phrase from uh, an old bandmate of Mark. Uh, he often used to he used to say that a a camel was a horse designed by a committee. Mm-hmm. You want a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's like, oh, he's got to carry his own water, and he's got to be able to have long legs. He's got to be able to walk a long time, and yeah. You know, it gets kind of apt where, uh, you know, if you have one person, they can, you know, control their vision and do whatever the hell they want. But there's a danger in that, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have a committee or if you have a group of people deciding, like a group of elders deciding on what to do, uh, a lot of times it's just, it's the art of compromise and you never actually get anything done. Right. So you got to find the balance. You got to find the balance in between the camel and the dictator. And the horse, yeah. (laughs) The camel and the horse. Uh, Okay. So let's talk about the plan that they, they execute at the end of the episode here. And this is, this was a familiar plan to me, not any from anything specific. The idea here is they blow up a truck to sort of fake an attack on the dam to convince Lola that things are unsafe and she needs to make the deal for the weapons. Yes. You've, we've seen this before in other, in other, uh, TV shows and, and movies. Um, and in reality, well, I guess, and in reality, sure. (laughs) I don't know what you're referring to, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. There was a plan in the sixties by the U S government to fake something so that, uh, the people would rise up against Cuba, I think it was. Well, all right. I don't know if I want to They decided not to do that, but uh, I'm sure it's happened in the past. Somebody has done things like this in order to incite other stuff. Yeah, but I I just mean like when you're trying to convince a character on a show to do something, what you do is you you execute the thing that you're trying to tell them to be afraid of, whether it's actually um, a threat to them or not. Yeah, just to convince them that it is, and therefore they've got to do what you say. Um, here's my question, though. Clearly, Strand was behind this plan, but was Daniel involved in it or not? Daniel was looking the other way, and he gave him the phrase, uh, "The Queen uh, d- the down one. with the Water Queen." Correct, <laughs> or whatever it was. They were. That was what it was. They were standing there on the dam. And, and Daniel came along and said, I see, you know, you have an idea in your head. If it benefits me, I'll look the other way. If not, I'll come for you. And as he's walking away, he says down with the water queen a couple of times. Um, so I'm not clear and I'm not sure it's intended for me to be clear or not, but I'm not clear if Daniel was in on this plan or if he just could tell Strand was doing something and maybe he sort of figured it out on his own, so he let it happen. Uh, Daniel nudged Strand in the direction that Strand ultimately went. But Fake something. Right, but without really knowing what he was going to do. Yeah, I don't think he was uh, directly complicit in the, uh, in the attack. Yeah. Or no. the apparent attack. Right, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and it worked, you know? He blew up that truck, and... Lola was like, oh my God, you're right. We need to make this deal because we need to protect ourselves from right. blowing up more trucks, people blowing and up And Daniel trucks. didn't call bullshit. It was basically his part of the agreement was that he's not going to, uh, I know you're hatching something and I'll figure out what it is, but I'm going to not be able to figure it out. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, I'll just wing it 
and I'll go with it if it works, if I think yep. it's a good idea. So uh, I liked it. I enjoyed <laughs> That's how it works in my house. I try something and uh, if it doesn't work, I get in trouble. But uh, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble until afterwards. Until you try it. Until I try it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way to pre-plan whether or not I'm going to get in trouble. I just have to try it and see. All right. Well, fair enough. <laughs> the way it works. How do I know that if I do this, I'll, that it's the right thing or the wrong thing? It's like, well, do it and I'll tell you after. <laughs> well, Jason, I think that can, I think that attitude can be applied to spending a thousand dollars on a Lego Millennium Falcon. Oh, we got to talk about that. Maybe in the after hours. Yeah. Because <laughs> you saw it. I saw it in real life. I want you to paint me a word picture later. All right. I'll try, but All let's, right. let's finish this episode first. I enjoyed the plan. I thought it was fun. If not, you know, kind of not really that unique, but fun and it got the job done. And it led to like a final scene in this episode that I actually really liked. I liked how, you know, they're driving down the highway. It's a little bit lighthearted. There's some humor, you know, everyone's happy for once. And it felt like the story was over and they were driving back to the ranch with their water and everything was going to be fine from here. Even the part where she pulls up beside Walker on the road and says, hey, you thirsty? <laughs> yeah. And no, it, it, it solved all their problems. I think that uh, everything's happy-go-lucky and that uh, they have survived the zombie apocalypse. Well, that's what it feels like right now. And the, yeah. it never feels like that on The Walking Dead. Man, I wish I could have just one day, one day where at the end of the day, all my current problems are solved and that the next day I can deal with whatever new problems there are. You can start new problems the next day. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Just to have that one magical day where every one of your current problems are all solved. Like everything at work is wrapped up and finished. I don't have anything to do around the house. All the laundry is done. The dishes are done. The, you know. Bills are paid. Everything. Yeah. Car's working fine. It's not going to fall apart the next time you get into it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just one day. Just solve everything in one day. Oh, that'd be wonderful. That'd be a wonderful day. That's a dream right there. That'd be a red letter day right there. One problem-free day. That'd be amazing. Well, they had it. I feel like they they had had it it on the show. I envy them that they had it. She pulls up beside Walker, says, hey, are you thirsty? The smile on his face is just ear to ear. You know, you never see that guy smile that big. He gets in, everybody feels good, and they drive off down down the highway, the open road with a cool song playing and that's yeah. that cheap trick on the radio well That'd be nice. it wasn't cheap trick but, no i uh, know but it should have been oh it should have been after that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so it was good i you know i really really liked this episode other than the the weird cold open i thought they did a lot of great stuff here and um i'm, I'm really happy about it I wish I had, uh, they should all get one of those beeping distractulators for, uh, for zombies. Oh yeah. That thing, I, I man. think that's what we should call it. Just the distractulator. I, I like that. Yeah. Let's throw it over there. The zombies just, maybe it just, it beeps at that, the, the exact frequency that zombies hone in on. Right. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's, it's perfect for zombie ears. It's like a crying baby. I find that, uh, I don't, doesn't matter where I am in the house. I can hear Jasper cry. 
well, that's your, you're his parent. You're tuned into his needs. So I know, but that's exactly right. Right. It's, it's just tuned in. It's at that one frequency I, or, you know, learned experience or whatever it is. Maybe that's just that one little thing that this beeping device just kind of hones in on what those zombies are listening for. And they just go there and it's like, oh, I don't need to listen to that truck grinding through all those cars because that little beeping thing, I got to get that beeping thing. Well, they, they, maybe they hear high pitched noises better, right? I don't know. Could be. Uh, just before we, we end, uh, our discussion of this episode here in terms of things that are outstanding, where there are still potential problems to solve, um, you know, we, we kind of don't know what's going to happen with Ophelia, right? Uh, she's there. Daniel knows she's there. I assume they're going to get back. Oh, and he said, bring Ophelia to the, to the exchange next week. Right. So there's going to be something that goes on there. So we don't know what's happening with that. And then the other thing is, um, Efrain's sort of, um, uh, not dissent, but, um, rebellion in a way from Lola and what she's trying to do. And then of course the problem with the people that she's trying to provide water to, uh, whether it is a huge problem or not, because of course the truck explosion was kind of faked, but I, a part of me thinks they're not going to really worry about that anymore. It almost feels like it's secondary and we're going to have to deal with what's going on at the trading post and the proctor, you know, more than anything. Or maybe a frame will just, uh, open up the floodgates. Like there's got to be a button somewhere that you push, right? It's probably like, one of those things where you need two people in different rooms, you know? <laughs> it's not a missile silo. Well, it's a giant dam. You open that dam and let all the water through. You probably Yeah, but how many people... I know that uh, in the Sioux where I grew up, there's a hydroelectric dam that is generating power for Ontario power generation and has been there since before I was born. Uh, well, actually it was replaced by a different hydroelectric dam, but there has been a dam there. And I remember when they built that thing that, uh, we were on some kind of tour in, uh, going around the Sioux and they said, do you know how many people are in there, uh, working in that hydroelectric dam? One person. One guy. There's one guy <laughs> in a control room monitoring every, everything. Uh-huh. And if they need repairs, they bring in other people, but there's just, it takes one guy to work a hydroelectric dam. So I'm thinking that there's. If it's geared and set up to have be worked by one guy, that you don't need two people with the separate keys. It's just there's a big friggin' button, probably with a cover on it, so you don't actually accidentally put your <laughs> McDonald's lunch on it after you get back, right? It's oh, like, damn it, put my Big Mac, Big Mac, <laughs> push the button, and now all the water killed thirty seven thousand people just because I bought a Big Mac. And damn it. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, I'm thinking there's a big red button with a cover on it and maybe a key. You turn the key and then you open the lid and then you click the button and then you enter the code or whatever. It's a whole process, but I think one person can handle it. And I think a frame can probably figure it out and sneak in in the dead of night, go beep, 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 beep. And the sirens go off and the lights blink and then everybody goes, oh my God, the gates are opening. And Efrain runs around like, oh my God, the gates are opening. Let's hunt down the guy who did that. And he just, you know, fakes it. I think he can do it. I think he's going to. Shouldn't have got extra cheese on the Big Mac. It made it too heavy for the stupid button if I'd only got the regular Big Mac. Yeah, I asked for 37 slices of cheese and it made it four pounds. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) good times. Um, yeah, so, uh, good episode, Jason, and, uh, maybe Efrain will just open the gate. I don't know. Or open well, the that, Well, that's the only thing that's going to happen, right? They set that up. Except I don't think that we're going to 
get that much. No, here's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm making a call right now. That dam is protecting wherever that stadium is from the rush of the water. There's going to be some <laughs> massive conflict at the stadium and the only way to stop it, open the dam and just wipe out the whole thing. That's not going to happen. And I'll tell you why. Please do. Do you know how much money that would cost to shoot that or to put that on the screen? Dude, they built the whole thing in the stadium. Like that's a real place, I think. Well, yeah, but the special effects that would be involved in having a dam break and rushing water destroy a stadium full of people. I, I don't know, man. We're talking Thor level special effects here. Nah, come on. I think, I think you're right. I think they've set up the dam to be opened. They've set up a big conflict at the Proctor's marketplace. And I think those two things are going to be related in a way. As long as it doesn't look like the Superman movie with the dam breaking. Do you remember that? Which one? I've seen a lot of Reeves, Superman movies. Superman. Yeah. The first, the first Christopher Reeve Superman where the dam broke and then he had the spinner. I'm spoiler alert for Superman. Uh, and then he spun around the earth and had to go bring it back. But there was a dam that broke and it looked really stupid and fake. Well, I, I don't remember Because it was a practical the, effect. I don't remember the, the stupidness of it. But it was Lois Lane had died. So he spun the earth backwards to bring her back to life. So That's, that's the stupid part. <laughs> no. Yes. It's one of Superman's powers. No. It comes from the comic book. It's canon. I don't support that. I think it's <laughs> dumb. Superman can do anything. That's the problem with Superman. Well, well, yeah, it is the problem with Superman. That's why they have to have kryptonite in every goddamn movie, because <laughs> what else are you going to do? <laughs> right. Superman, exactly. uh, how am I supposed to hurt you? Well, you can't. Yeah. Okay. I'm going home. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, are we done? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. We're done that. All right. There is some listener feedback I want to do, but also first, there are some new uh, patrons on our Patreon page that I'd like to thank for, cool. for signing up. So if you want to find out what that's all about, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. And I'd like to throw out a big thank you to um, True Crime Brewery for becoming a patron. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Neil P. and Mary G., for supporting us uh, on Patreon. And then um, one more here, Avellino R supported us at the uh, $5 level, and that entitles him to a shout-out on the show. And Avellino, this is going to be a slightly weird, I think, but he decided that he wanted to send a shout-out to his fellow Zedheads in the Zedheads Unite group on Facebook. And this is... <laughs> this group is organized by our friends Jason and Karen over at the Walking Dead cast for nice. for for their Patreon supporters. It's their exclusive <laughs> face group, Facebook group, if, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so cool. uh, Avellino supports both of us. That's great. As do many of our listeners, which is fantastic. So hello, everyone in that group. Hello, Jason and Karen. Thank you, Avellino. And, uh, you know, if... If you listen to both our podcasts, that's fantastic. A little cross-pollination there. That's good. Little, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Exactly. So uh, there you go. Thank you so much to everyone that visits our Patreon page. If you want to find out more, check out patreon.com slash the talking dead. Listener feedback. All righty. We're going to do one, two, three, four emails from people here. Listener feedback before we wrap it up. 
This first one comes from, uh, oh, and everyone, please say your name and where you're from in emails. We got a few this week that, uh, that didn't have uh, any information. So I believe this person's name is Jackland on the internet. That's what okay, so the, the thing is, if you put a name and a place, Chris will read it. I'll read it. I really will. So yeah. make sure you put something in there. <laughs> and he'll pay attention to punctuation. So if you put a question mark in there, he'll read it. Uh, it'll be a question. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this particular writer listens in to say, I have to say, I'm really enjoying the damn story. The damn lady and all the damn people this season on Fear the Walking Dead. I do wonder if any of the damn people will want to move to the ranch or if any of the ranch people will want to become some of those damn people. Either way, it sure is fucking interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I thought that was funny. And, that was uh, funny. Thank you. I left. Thank you for the email. <laughs> Sean on the internet writes, So, silly question. What is to stop them from just driving around and finding another place to fill up with water on the other side of the lake? Is it because Lola's water is filtered and clean, or is it just not accessible any other way? I ask, because when Madison is looking at the lake, you can clearly see a dirt road or two that dead ends into the water. Well, they probably have guards all the way around the lake. Some kind of uh, patrol going on. You think so? Well, they would have to, because otherwise it's stupid. That's right. Like, no, we, we, we can only have water, but don't go on the other side of the lake and get the water because that's not allowed. Right. No one's going to listen to that. A, yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Guards. I guess guards make sense. Uh, There's got to be a river feeding that uh, that reservoir though. So go up river. They can't guard everything. Yeah. It must come from somewhere, right? It's not just rainwater that accumulates there. It doesn't seem to ever rain where they are. Yeah. It's the whole system. Yeah. I, I don't quite understand, but that's okay. It's true. It's okay. I mean, maybe the dam does have some sort of filtration system. So the water they're distributing is not like full of, I don't know, full of yeah. debris or mud or something. I, I don't quite get it. And I fully, uh, understand that I don't get it because I've lived most of my life on one of the great lakes. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand water sort shortages just at a guttural visceral level because you know, it's just the lake right there. There's always been a lake right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, me too, where I've For me. grown up. Yeah, and Lake, I mean, um, Ontario, where we live, is nothing but lakes, really, when you look. Yeah. There's a lot of fresh water here. We are very I lucky. I lived on Lake Superior for a very long time. We, we are That's very lucky. a big lucky. fucking lake. It is. I learned recently that there's enough water in Lake Superior to flood all of North America up to one foot deep or something like that. Yeah, I read that too. That's a it's lot of water. It's a big, it's a really deep lake. Yeah. So Super deep. anyways, um, what's stopping them from driving around to the other side? Maybe guards, but at, I, you got to think if you go far enough away yeah. then there's going to be some fresh water, but, uh, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. I, I tell you, if Loch Ness can have a monster, Lake Superior can have a monster. There's a monster gotta be, if there's one living in Loch Ness, there's one living at the bottom of Lake Superior. Betcha. Well, Lake Superior is way bigger, right? Well, it's way bigger. But, um, you know, Loch Ness is extremely deep, which is why they can't find Nessie. Of course. But I figure that if there is a monster there, there's got to be one in Lake Superior. Yeah, well. It was I, just swimming up river, you know, it came in from the ocean and went by Quebec City, past Montreal, you know, swimming up and then it got to the Great Lakes and we're like, or got to Lake Superior and went, I guess that's it. I live here now. Uh, yeah. Then, Doesn't it have to get through Niagara Falls though on its way? No, you don't have to go through Niagara Falls. 
You go to Welling Canal, you go around it. Oh, all right. Fair enough. But I'm talking like 50 million years ago or something, right? <laughs> right, right. Of course. Yeah. The 50, year, 50 million year old monster in Lake Superior. It was deeper then. Of course. It was, I'm telling you. Was it? Yeah, because uh, I know this because Sault Ste. Marie has uh, a hill that runs the full length of Sault Ste. Marie because the, uh, the St. Mary's River that goes between Lake Superior and Lake Huron used to be like 150 feet deep or something and like way wider and it carved out that whole area. So that's because all of the Great Lakes were a hell of a lot deeper at one point. All right. Well, you know everything, man. I've taken tours in the Sioux of various things like the mall and the hydroelectric <laughs> dam. And, uh, I know where the hills came from in the Sioux. Very good. You're very intelligent. I'm going to move on to the next email. Please. Graham on the internet writes, did anyone else think, this one's funny too. It was, did anyone else think it was odd that Walker would say anything to Daniel that might undermine their efforts in the trade? And he's referring to the scene where Daniel comes in while Walker's eating lunch or eating a meal to ask about Ophelia. And so he, he puts this uh, little little uh, dialogue example in here. Daniel, mm-hmm. so how's my daughter, Walker? I turned her into a murderer. Daniel, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he might as well have said, I'm banging your daughter. Can I call you dad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it does seem like that wasn't really the right thing to say. But, but Walker thought it, thought it was a good thing. He said, she's a hero. We sent her in and she killed a bunch of people. Right. That was great for she us. We're really them. happy with how she turned out. Thank right. you. Well, this is what, this is the point. Do you think this information factored into Daniel's decision to not return to, to find Ophelia? Well, why would it? Wouldn't it be the opposite? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if he feels he's like- mad at her? If he, need, if he feels he needs to save her, then yes, you'd think this would be the opposite. It'd be like, oh my God, she's gone down a dark path. I need to go find her. She's murdering people. I need to stop her. But Daniel doesn't seem to be all that against murdering. So I don't well, know. Well, I, I read it as a cat in the cradle kind of thing where she just, she turned out just like dear old dad, right? Right. Murdering people in order to save other people. So- wouldn't he want to stop that because he doesn't want her to be like him? Um, yeah. Well, unless, unless he thinks, well, she can clearly handle herself now. She doesn't need me and I'm needed more here. I can do more good at the dam. Yeah. It no. didn't make it make any sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so either. I think it was a bit of a strange scene, that one, to be honest. And, uh, uh, I don't hey, know. Yeah, I've met your daughter. She's got a great ass. <laughs> It's like, okay, dude, just dial it back a little bit. Pretty much. <laughs> talking to her dad. Pretty here. much, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so the final email here, Sean in Richmond, Virginia writes, and um, he's pointing out that, you know, next week we're going to have this trade and it's probably going to go bad. He says, after the negotiations for the water slash gun trade were finalized, Madison made the brilliant decision to make the meeting point the bizarre marketplace they were previously at. We have learned this place is run by some seemingly dangerous people or a person with the name the Proctor, so obviously they are not going to be happy with a trade taking place right outside the walls of their trade business, which will of course bring into play a conflict between the ranch slash dam people and the Proctor, most likely resulting in the Proctor taking over the dam and maybe even the ranch, because of course these places will be seen as business opportunities. 
There are miles and miles of uninhabited wasteland out there, and Madison picks the one place that should be off limits. Yeah, that was pretty stupid. And I, I fully agree with that. I mean, they don't need to do this deal right under this person's nose, and I just think it's going to go bad for them. However, the, you know, I realized earlier that they're just going to open the dam and flood this place anyways. So uh, right. that's, uh, I think, what's going to happen. Yeah, well, and they all, should have picked another place. And all that good work that Madison did and making the deal and saving her people is going to be undermined by the fact that she chose a poor location to execute the plan. Location, location, location. Super important. Yep. Really is. Um, so we haven't met the proctor yet, right? We have not. We've only I heard about who it. that's going to be. Yeah, I think it's going to be, well, I don't know. I, I don't think they're going to get like a big name actor, are they? That would be weird, wouldn't it? It'd be great if it was Merle. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be Merle. I think it will be a an established actor. You might know him or her from something else, but I don't think we're suddenly going to have Tom Hanks show up and be like, hi, everybody, I'm the Proctor. James Woods would be nice. Isn't that guy a giant prick now, too? Ah, uh, I'm trying to, I'm wondering if he's dead. No, he's alive. I, th- I sure? think I saw something about him on the internet recently about... Not being a very nice person. But anyways, I don't know that for sure, so I can't say anything. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of him right, right now, and it's ringing a bell of him being a jerk. Okay, well, we've identified a few jerks on this episode, so uh, <laughs> hopefully- well, Joe Pesci would be nice. Oh, there you we've go. have seen him in a while. Throw him in there. Hopefully he's yeah. not a jerk. All right, let's wrap this sucker up, Jason, if we can. Um, thank you to those who wrote in. Let's keep your uh, emails coming, and we'll- Take a look back at this episode at the beginning of next week's podcast if we need to. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on Send Voicemail to record a message. You can also send emails to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead or follow us on Twitter at TalkingDead. Nothing new has changed on the new website since last week. Super. Uh, however, there are some plans afoot to relaunch it at some point, hopefully in the near future, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, I think it's going to be. I'm a big fan of uh, foot plans. Foot plans, yeah. They're, yeah, pl- plans afoot. That's what you meant, right? Like foot plans. Exactly. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. So there okay. are some foot plans coming up for a new site, and uh, hopefully that all comes together. I'll talk more about that as things progress. We will, of course, be back next week when we talk about the next episode of Fear the Walking Dead. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Until then, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Sorry, I fucked up the whole intro. (laughs) I talked all the way through it.